word should they? Well, you have, you have a little outline, so you, you already have it. Actually, I could just be quiet and just sit here and look at you for 20 minutes. You could read that, and then that's... Because <laughs> I'm going to just say what's on that piece of paper. But there are, there are um, cross-references, so you can take it home and use it as a little study. So our topic today is going to be sortiology. Now, what's that? Sortiology. What in the world is that? Well, that's the study of salvation. So, you know, there's all kind of ologies in the Bible. And so this is soteriology, it's S-O-T-E-R-I-O-L-O-G-Y, soteriology. And you'll find that in your various theological books. And basically, it's about how to understand how sinners get saved. It's about salvation, how an ungodly sinner, the whole process of how he gets saved. Isn't that amazing? You think of someone who doesn't know Christ, and who knows what's going on in their life, and they go from that to loving the Lord, to being active in a church, sometimes rising to be a church leader, sometimes being called into the ministry. These things happen all the time, this great progression, and that's what soteriology is about. And so that's part of my topic today, looking at uh, the verses we're going to be looking into. We're going to look in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, 12, and 13 is the plan. Whether if we get there or not, we'll see. It depends on how long-winded I become here and, and uh, so forth. But, so, but again, soteriology is simply understanding how a sinner, and think about this, how can a sinner get saved? If he's spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, has no spiritual power, how's he going to get saved? Well, you know, we know this, that salvation is a, is a miraculous work. For a sinner who was lost, for him to hear the gospel, believe it, Trust in Christ, that's a miracle. And then for him to carry through in, in a church and be engaged and involved, and then for him to discover, <clears throat> think of this, he discovers his spiritual gift, begins to use them, <clears throat> and he becomes a, a real instrument for the church, for the gospel. All these, these are miraculous things. So every week, whether it be me or the other pastors who are here, we're talking about mir- miraculous things. It, for you, think of you, you being saved. That's, that's the work of the Lord, a miracle work of the Lord, something you can't make happen, <clears throat> and yet you are here. You love one another, you love the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to see. <clears throat> well, continuing on then, why is this important? Because this, we're realizing that unsaved man, he is a sinner by nature and by choice. Think about the depth of depravity an unsaved sinner is. His nature is against God. His choices are always going to be against God. He is spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. So how is that poor wretch going to get saved? No sight, no hearing spiritually, and yet he needs to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Every conversion is a miracle. Now, God in his mercy uses us to give forth words, give forth encouragement, and things such as this. But the whole work, at the heart level, see, these things take place at the heart level. That is a work of God, which no man can make that happen. And you know what I'm talking about, because these things have happened to you. And that's why you're here today, because the Lord has touched you at the heart level. How else can you explain you being here today? And then think about this, the offering comes by and you put money in the plate. Isn't that a miracle? It's as selfish as we are. I want to hold on to our money and do this and do that. You give generous offerings. All this is the work of the Lord in your hearts. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. For clarity's sake, 
I just want to say one thing about the word sin, because that's going to come into my message here. We know, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, the word sin, you see in Scripture, S-I-N, actually comes from the word hamartan, if you look at the, oh, thank you so much. Boy, there's a perceptive person right there. So she saw I was up here choking and all that. <laughs> and I thought, oh boy, here, I'm just starting out and I'm choking already. This isn't going to be good. Thank you so much. This is going to be very helpful. You know, my, my, I have an older brother. He's saved. He got saved after many years. <clears throat> and he is in, into, um, he's into, what do we call it? Uh, not folk music, but, but um, what's he call that? You know, cowboy music, what's that called? I like country music. I guess you could say country music. I mean, he's into it. He plays the guitar and does, plays in, in groups and all that. I mean, at one time in his life, he was you know, in, in the bars and doing all that stuff, playing the music. So he, the Lord saved him out of that mess. Maybe I, I'd like to have him come give a testimony. He's not, he's not one to speak. But. So, um, anyway, why am I telling you? There's a reason why I want to tell you something about that, and it's connected with water. Now I don't remember what the connection was, so maybe it'll come to me later on. Anyway, talking, I got talking here about hermarton, mean missing the mark of God's perfection. That's the word sin. When you see the word sin... You could put in for the word sin, missing the mark of God's perfection. And I'm going to give you something. I'm quite sure I gave it to you before because I always say it when I use this illustration. But it's like playing darts. You know, you, you play darts, you throw that dart for the bullseye. Very rarely do you hit the bullseye, but you, you know, some come closer to the bullseye than others. Now, this is what sin is. Sin is like trying to hit that bullseye, but you don't hit it. Now, some people come closer to the bullseye than others, but nobody hits the bullseye. That's why we're all called sinners, because we, we can't. We're incapable of hitting the bullseye per- perfectly. And so that's what sin is. That's what hermartan is. And, of course, that's what we all suffer with. We suffer with sin. We are sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. And that sin will ruin you and ruin me. And so that's the Lord came to deal with our sin and to help us. And, and now we have the Word of God to help us to understand this. You know the word sin is found in the Bible, in the King James Bible, the word sin is found 389 times. Again, it's that word hamartan, missing the mark of God's perfection. Now you also see words like sinner, sins, plural, sinners, plural, but the word sin, S-I-N, 389 times because that's a major issue in God's word, learning to deal with the issue of sin. Romans 3.23, we all know this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all, we all struggle with this, even when we're saved. You know, when we come to Christ and we're saved, and our sins are paid for, and we have a way to heaven, but still, you still struggle with sin, don't you? You, you battle with that every day. And yet, that's, and that's why we need to come to worship, come to encourage one another, because we have to deal. We're all in, in war, in a battle with harmoton or the word sin. Okay, I'm going to be looking, now that's just a little introduction. Uh, I'd like you to look into Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. I'm going to start to preach on today. Romans 2, 11. And if you look at that from the original rendering to the Greek uh, statement, it goes, Ugar esten para pokse para ti theu. If you change that into English, you, know, you translate into English, and it says, for there is no respect of persons with God. 
I think we've all heard that phrase. There's no respect of persons. With, and, it, and as we see these verses about God, we see more and more how we are so diverse from God in our nature. God, no, we, we deal with respect of persons. I mean, let's face it, we have favorite friends and people we don't care for, you know, and you go through all this. Not so with God. Isn't that amazing? The God who saved us, who loved us, he has no respect of persons as we're seeing right here in this text. Now, what can we do with these seven Greek words that I just shared, or, or the nine English words that we have of the, of the text that we're looking into today? And again, making the point that man is diverse from God. Try to think about that. You know, we think, oh, we're like God. No, we're not like God. We're nothing like God. There's a great diversity between us and our God. For example, man is temporary. God is eternal. Couldn't be more difficult. Man is physical. God is spiritual. Man is flawed. God is perfect. Man is changeable. God is immutable. You know that word immutable, meaning there's no change. God doesn't change. He's never changed. God is eternal, and he's never changed, and he never will change, because that's his attribute. He is immutable. You and I change. One day we're happy, next day we're sad, you know. One day we're eager to come to church, next, day, next Sunday we're not so eager. You know, we're, we're different. We're, we change. Not so with God. God is the same all the way through. So our spiritual battle, as we look at God's holy word, analyze our life, and look at the word of God, our battle is between is about sin on the one hand and righteousness on the other. As a Christian, we struggle with sin. I bet everyone, we all have weaknesses in sin. There are certain sins that attract you or you fight with, and, and many times you're victorious, but probably sometimes you're not, because that's, that's the man's experience. We deal with this thing called hamartan, or I use that word sin. But there's no middle ground in this whole thing. There is no middle ground or neutrality with God. We, we, we compromise, we have a neutrality, but not with God. He's absolutely righteous. And so that's, what we, that's who we relate to, and that's who saved us. Now think about God, who's absolutely righteous and holy, saved us. There was a point in time, now I don't know, I don't understand this theology, but there was a point in time, if we, maybe not even time, but there was an event when God put his electing love on you and drew you irresistibly from the world to himself. And notice this, that election that God gave is successful because everyone we know in God, everyone who God calls comes, comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, for, and you think about this, for whatever reason, God had his love upon, electing love upon every one of you. And the biggest surprise, he had it on me. But I thank God for this. And so this is what we, this is the God that we worship. But in our condition here, now, now I'm assuming, the assumption is, of course, everybody here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe, you know, maybe somebody that doesn't. I don't, I don't know. Everybody I've met here, I would at least have the impre- that impression. But I don't know. I'm not trying to put anything in you and about you that's not true. But we know this. I can say this for sure. Every one of us here, we're either heaven-bound 
or we're hellbound. There's no, no really middle ground. If we keep that in mind, we're either hellbound or heavenbound. Keep that in mind, and let's move over now to verse 12. We're looking here now to Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Not, it's a long verse, so I'm not going to read the Greek language to you. But, and you know, why do you do that? Why would you read the Greek? What, what's the point of that? You know the point of that is? Hoping that sometime it may create an interest in you <laughs> to do study and even get into some of the original language. That's how I got into it. You know, I would hear a pastor talking or reading from, uh, you know, the Greek language or the Hebrew language, and I'd say, what's he doing that for? And he said, well, you know what? You can get a little deeper meaning if you get into the, especially in the verb form, of, of, if you're t- reading New, New Testament, the Greek, it just helps you to understand. You, you know what the difference is between doing Greek and English is this. Now, most of you are too young to understand, but some of us understand, know this. Let's talk about a television for a moment. I'm sure you all have a television, and you all have a color television, probably, right? Does, does any of you remember what a black and white tele- television is? <laughs> I sure do. And well, the difference between looking at a black and white TV and a color TV is the difference between reading an English Bible or a Greek Bible. You get the same truth, but it's much more vivid if you can get it you know, from, from the Greek language, much more vivid, especially in the verb system, is much more thorough and clear. All right, we're looking here at Romans chapter 2 and verse 12 is what we're thinking about. Now notice in this verse, the same word is used twice in the verse. And what is that word? It is the word sinned. And of course, I've given that to you before that word sin is harmaton, and it's there twice. Now, literally, if we go back to the Greek rendering, the word sin means missing the mark of God's perfection. So if you, and I always think of a bow and arrow. You, whoosh, you don't hit the bullseye, and I've shared that with you before talking about darts, but you're missing the mark of God's perfection. So when you see the word sinned, when the Bible says all have sinned, you could say, well, all have missed the mark of God's perfection. Some are closer to it than others, but all miss it. And that's the point of sin. We are all frail. We have all sinned. Therefore, we have Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That's our nature. That's what we do. Therefore, we need to be rescued. And of course, by the grace of God, we know that that is what has happened to us. He has rescued us from our bondage to sin, being dominated by sin, having our life ruined by sin, we've gotten all over. The Lord delivered us from this, and now we can have a communication with God Almighty through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the Word. Now, let me give you just a little bit of biblical history for a moment to, to add into this discussion. Let's talk for a moment about the law. We, hear, we always hear about the law, the law this, the law this. Well, we know this. The law, now, first of all, Where is the law in the Bible? The law comes from what's called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch means five. So the law is found in the first five books of the Bible. That's referred to as the Pentateuch. And there you have the law written, discussed, and analyzed. And so that's where the law comes from, from uh, from the Pentateuch. But we also know this, that the law came, comes the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's how we know about sin, because it came, the Word of God tells us about, about sin. Now, let's look at this with respect to two people. And why am I talking about these two people? Because that's what the Bible talks about. 
I only get up here and polypirate the Bible. I've got nothing to say, really. But I just want to share what God's Word has to say. The law deals with two kinds of people. Now, on this earth, there's many kinds of people. But the Bible narrows it down just to two. The Jew and the Gentile. In Scripture, that's really what Scripture is about. The Jew, God's covenant people, or the rest of us who are not God's covenant people. And so as we, look at the, as we look at the Jew, we know this. The Jew sinned. He was a sinner. He knows he's a sinner because he was given the law. And the law tells them what sin is. And therefore, when they break the law, they are a sinner. And the Jew understands this. Histori- and I'm talking historically. They understood that they were a sinner. Now, let's talk about the Gentile. The Gentile doesn't have the law, but yet the Bible makes it a point. Even the Gentile knows that he is a sinner. The Gentile understands this, and so he knows that he sins before God. Why? Because he has a conscience, and the conscience tells the Gentile, also the Jew, but this is what the Gentile has to work with, the conscience. We don't have the law. God did not give the law to us. He gave it to Israel. But still, we get the message that we are sinners, by, through the conscience, we understand that we are as sinners. And both then, the Jew and the Gentile, realize that they're guilty before God. Every one of them, every one of us, I should say, by nature, we are guilty. We know, the Gentile knows, he should not kill, should not steal, should not commit adultery, and yet they do it, he's guilty. And so we all know that we stand guilty before God. So therefore, the law, if we're going to you know, continue to talk about the law. The law was a great success. We don't like the law. We don't like to hear about the law because we live in an age of grace. But the law was a great success. The purpose of the law was what? To make man know that he was a sinner. That's all the law was to do. Tell man that he would know that he's short of God's demands. He's short of what God would call him to do. Hence, he is a sinner. And so the law was to communicate to mankind They are a sinner and unacceptable to a holy God. In that regard, the law was a great success. You read the law and you know you break it all every day. And the early Jewish people, they this is what they what they struggled with, and they knew that they were guilty before God. So the purpose of the law is to expose sin, make man know that he is a sinner. Uh, It's like an x-ray. I'm sure we've all had an x-ray. Perhaps you, know, you go to the doctor, you're not feeling well. You go to the doctor. You stand there in front of the <clears throat> x-ray machine, you know, he takes an x-ray. So what, does the x-ray heal you? No, x-ray doesn't heal you, it just tells you what's wrong. That's what the law is. The law is like an x-ray machine. It tells you what is wrong. That's all it does. It doesn't give any direction, doesn't give any healing. It just says, there's something wrong with you, and the Bible calls it sin. You are a sinner. Scripture tells us that both Jew and Gentile suffer with this plague of sin. You know it, because I'm quite sure every one of you struggled with it this past week to a greater or lesser degree. I know it. I struggle with it. We all do. This thing of sin, and that's why God's Word is to tell us about sin, also the solution to it. But right now we're just talking about the fact of it, the fact of sin. The Word of God goes on to make it clear that we are sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice, and therefore we stand guilty, all of mankind stands guilty before a holy God. And now if you think about this, sin would not be a problem 
if God was not holy. You know, some of our problem is God is perfectly holy, and we're not. (laughs) But if God were not perfectly holy, if he was compromising, we wouldn't have that much of a problem. But the fact is, God is 100% holy. He demands that of us, and we we can't attain this. Hence, we have this great division between God and man. Man's problem, then, he is a sinner. Number one, he is a sinner. Major problem, he's a sinner. But it gets worse. Not only is he a sinner, he cannot save himself. He doesn't have the ability to save himself. It gets worse than this. He, therefore, cannot go to heaven. He's a sinner by nature and by choice. He can't fix the problem. There's a heaven and a hell, and he can't go to heaven because he's got this problem that he can't solve. And so, fourthly, he's consigned to eternal hell. Therefore, the Jew and the Gentile alike are consigned to an eternal hell. That's the condition of mankind. You all know this, but I'm just laying this out, hopefully refreshing your mind that we can see some of the principles in God's Word in a context. The other thing is, not only is a man sinner consigned to hell, but he cannot earn his way out. And if there's a way, is there a way that I can earn my way out of hell? <laughs> but there is none. As, of course, we all know this. That's all bad news I've given you. But there is a little bit of good news in here. Again, that we get it from here, God's word. And what is that? The Bible does talk about our God, the creator, does have the capacity to love. He's a creature. I'll use the word creature for right now that loves, that has intense, unimaginable love. Yet, God loves the sinner who he created, but God cannot bring the sinner to heaven because he is a sinner. If he were to bring the sinner, if the Lord said, okay, you know what, I'm going to send all sinners to hell except for the Bible Presbyterian Church denomination. I'm going to bring them to heaven. Well, then you know what? All heaven would be polluted. The whole thing would be ruined if one sinner is allowed to be in heaven. And heaven would become polluted. So that can't happen. Whether you be a Jew or the Gentile, we have this problem of sin. I learned, now I'm going to share with something I learned this through an experience I had as a young kid. Let me share this little experience with you quickly. I think it adds a little interest to it. So I grew up in Broomall, and our house was on Westchester Pike. So this car is going back and forth, and, and then in the summer, you know, have your window up, and they'll go, man, I learned how to sleep through all kind of noise. Directly across Westchester Pike was an old farmhouse. And in that farmhouse moved a family, a Latvian family. They're from, and they were rescued from World War II, <clears throat> came to America, they had no place to live, no food. They put them in this old farmhouse, which is right across the Westchester Pike from our house. So now I'm like about maybe eight or nine or ten as I'm sharing this story with you. <clears throat> so a family moves into the house. The family was comprised of a grandmother that seemed to be like about 195, but really she wasn't quite that old, but you know, she's quite elderly. There was an aunt, who was a very stern person, I came to find out. There then was a college-age student 
who actually was a genius, which I'll tell you about him. And, and then, there was a, then finally there was a boy my age. His name, his name was Magnus, M-A-G-N-U-S. So in the morning we get up and walk to, I would walk to Marple Grade School on the side of Westchester Pike. Magnus, in the house across, he would walk on the other side of Westchester. So we walk into school, he's over there, I'm this way, and I, oh, hi, hi. So we met at school. And then, as, you know, things would happen, we became very good friends. Then we started walking home together. And then I'd go over to his house to play for a while. He'd come over to our house, and we came, well, we came like this. For about five or six years, Magnus and I were inseparable. One major difference, though, Magnus was mental. He was a genius. <laughs> this guy was so smart. He's, he's a doctor today in New York City. But we, you know, we were, we were inseparable, um, and so we, you know, we did all, I can't share, I guess I ought not to share all the stuff we did, but we, we were actually pretty good kids. But, um, but here's one thing I learned about Magnus and about myself. You know what? Although we liked each other, we were good to one another, but we had one thing in common. Well, many things, but the one thing I want to share with you, both of us were sinners. <laughs> and we learned that quickly about each other and the stuff that, you know, kids get themselves involved in. He dealt with the issue of sin. I had to deal with the issue of sin. And keeping that in mind, that whole illustration about being sinners and such forth, I want you to move now in your Bible to Romans verse 13. Romans 2.13, keeping all that, putting all this together. Romans 2.13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Here is the whole issue that Magnus needed to learn, that I needed to learn, at this time, and that's that whole area of what the Bible calls justification. The word justification comes from the word dikaiothanate. Again, going back to the Greek rendering, dikaiothanate is the word for justification. What is justification? Justification means that we stand before God as if we never sinned. So if I were to say this hand represents me, I'm, I've given this before, I'm going to say it, I give this everywhere I go, and people understand this. So here I am, Don Britton, right here. This, this water, which by the way is really good water, I'm getting thirsty, I'm going to, this is nice and cold too, thanks for the water, very good. Mm-hmm. Here's Don Britton, a sinner. The water represents my sin. You all know this, God loves us. Hates my sin. I can't go to heaven if I have sin, and I can't get rid of the sin. Even if I could stop sinning today, I can't get rid of the sin of the past. It's part of me. It's part of my record. God, loving me in my sinful state, sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, let this hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's no sin on him, right? Because he committed no sin. But what did he do? He went to Calvary's cross to pay for our sin. Let this hand represent Jesus taking my sin on himself. Jesus taking my sin on himself, paying on the cross with the nails going through his hands and his feet, and so making a payment for my sins. Jesus didn't do it. I did. The Bible says that when I believe in Jesus as my Savior, I receive him into my life as my Savior, and I have him as my Lord Look at that. Where's my sin? I don't have it anymore. I can go to heaven because Jesus has my sin. I have no sin to answer for. And this thing takes place 
when we repent and believe on Christ, this is what happens. So if I were to ask you today, do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Hopefully you'd say yes, but you might not. 1 John 5.13 says what? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you can know. You see the word K-N-O-W. That you can, that's the word ginomai, by the way. If you took Greek language, it's the word ginomai. That you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Write that down. 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You don't have to guess, hope, fear. No, you can know it. But what you have to do is believe. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's all. And this is the point I'm trying to make. This is the issue of the Bible. So I would say, what is the major issue found in the 1,189 chapters of the Bible. What's the major issue there? What's the major issue of the 31,102 verses found in the Bible? What's the major issue running through this? What's the major issue running through the 788,280 words contained in your King James Bible? What is the major issue contained in the 3,556,480 letters of your King James. What is the issue? The point is, of all that knowledge, what is the major issue? This issue of justification, how a sinner can go to heaven. How an unworthy sinner can go to heaven. How? By believing, receiving, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's called justification. So how does justification work? If you are justified, that means this that you appear before God as if you never sinned. Now, I know you sinned. We've all sinned. But that's what justification is. I believe in Christ, and the Word of God says that I am justified before a holy God, meaning I stand before God as if I never sinned. And that's the only way anyone's going to get to heaven, by having been justified. And how are we justified? By the blood of Christ shed on Calvary on my behalf. And that occurs when you believe and trust in him. So I'm hoping and praying and and actually assuming that that's not good to do, but all of you have done this. Have you all received Christ into your life as he is presented in the Bible? The Savior and the Lord. Have you received him? And if you so, if you have, great. Praise God. Good. Rejoice. But if you haven't, do something about it today. You say, well, I'm going to do it tomorrow. (laughs) You may not have tomorrow. All kind of stuff happens, and the older I get, the more I see this. People who think they have tomorrow, they don't have tomorrow. All kind of things occur. So, I'll close in a few minutes, but please do not walk out of here without knowing for sure that you have received the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. I accept it. I believe it. Save me. And if you truly come to the Lord with that in mind, yes, Lord, I do believe that when you were bleeding on Calvary's cross, you were doing that for many people, but one was me. Save me, Lord. I want to be saved and have heaven. And if you'll do that according to God's word, you're saved, born again, and you have heaven waiting for you. 
you'll get, have the gift of the Holy Spirit who will then empower you to live the Christian life and guide you. And then to think about this, who knows when we're going to go, but you know what? You've got heaven waiting for you. I shouldn't have thought about this. It's going to make me cry now because I was going to say something about Vicki. I, I can't get into that yet. I still cry about her. But I know this. She's in heaven. Remember, she sat right here with us. And, but now she's with the Lord. What a glory. And that gives me so much joy and happiness to know this. But that could be your experience as well. Who knows? Your, are you going to be here next week? Well, you think so. Yeah, we all think so. But things happen in this world. If you were the Lord were to call you home today, do you know for sure you'd be going to heaven? I'm saying, are you sure that you've received Christ into your heart? Don't doubt. I'm going to close in a prayer in a moment. If you've never received the Lord, do it. All right, let me go through that. And what else do I have here? A lot of other stuff here, but we don't want to be here for another half hour, do you? I don't think so. All right, so then we'll just nail it down. We talked about justification. All right, so I did that. Oh, here's the other thing I want to share with you before I get. Talking about justification. What a wonderful doctrine that is, the doctrine of justification. Did you know that the Reformation... Of the, of the 16th century, the Great Reformation, you know what it was over? Justification. The issue of, and that tore Europe apart and even got over here to the, to the colonies. The doctrine of justification, how a sinner can be justified before a holy God was the whole issue. And of course, when that was an issue, what church was prevailing? The Catholic Church, the Protestant Church didn't exist in the 16th century. It was all Catholicism. And you know that Catholicism adds works to salvation and all kind of things goes with this. Although you do, I did learn this when I was, I went to seminary, by the way, for a year and a half. I was going to try and, you know, do the seminary thing. <laughs> but unfortunately, my, my first wife I came down with breast cancer, so I had to drop out and, and take care of her. But you know what, by the way, by the way, I've got two wonderful wives in heaven right now. And so that gives me great relief. But anyway, you know, I lost her when I was in, in seminary, going to Westminster Seminary. But as I say, I had to drop out. But, we're, but anyway, they're talking about, I learned a lot about the Reformation. And what I did learn was this. That Reformation, yeah, it took over Europe and even affected America. But there were always pockets of small people, of, of small numbers of people, who didn't accept Catholic doctrine, but accepted the Word of God, believed in John 3.16, believed in Ephesians 2.8 and 9. You know Ephesians 2.8 and 9, you know that, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It couldn't be more clear. But there's all, and get this and learn this, because you won't hear it often, but there are, there, even during the 16th century, when, when Catholicism was all over, there were always pockets of true little churches over here. And many times they had to meet secretly because if they were discovered, they would be removed. So God always had his witness, although it wasn't prevalent like it. And think of, think of the blessings we have today. Look at, the, look at us here with, with this liberty and freedom that we have here today. And numerous churches across the land but many generations ago didn't have any of this, couldn't even imagine something. This would, this would be like the, uh, you know, a, a great, great revival to have these numbers of people coming together to pray and loving the Lord. That's what they would see during the time of Reformation, making a comparison. Okay, let me uh, just say a few more words, then I'm going to conclude here. 
I just want to throw just another unconnected thought, somewhat unconnected. So this is just a theological question I want to give you, and then, and then we'll conclude. So my question is this. What is it to believe? Right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy house. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son to whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, but I ask you, well, what is it to believe? If you were from another country and you're not familiar with England, well, what do you mean when you use that word, believe? Acts 16.31, I believe I said that, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The word belief, again, I'm throwing this in for nothing, the sermon should have been over, this is extra, I'm giving, I'm just kidding you, but I just want to give you this thought. Belief comes from the word pistusin, going back to the Greek language, pistusin, and it means this, it means to trust in, adhere to, rely upon. It's an action verb. That is belief. So when you see the word, you say that we're pistusin, and, and it's trust in, adhere to, rely upon. But there's one thing that must precede belief. If you're talking to an unsaved person, something has to precede even the belief. And what is that? And that is the word metaneo, or repent. Repentance, right before a person believes, they have to repent. What does repentance literally mean? It literally means to have another mind, or to change your mind. You will hear some people say, repentance means to turn from your sin. It doesn't. That's a mistake. That's not right. I'm, not, I'm no old scholar, but I do know that is not proper. Repentance means to change your mind, period. Now, in the context of the Bible, the whole idea is to change your mind about the sin. Put it away. But literally, repent doesn't mean to, to turn from your sin. It means simply to change your mind. If I'm going to walk this way, and I repent, oh, I'm going to change my mind, I think I'll walk this way. That's repentance. So what are you applying repentance upon? Of course, faith and believing and trusting. So you have this thing, repent and believe. Again, or you could say it this way, repentance is the, is the beginning of belief. If you're not a believer, and you're going to change your mind from non-belief to trust in Christ, there is that change of mind where you now accept what you once rejected. And that is belief. That is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to get that thought to you too. A couple more verses and we're done here. And I know I said that a couple of times. Nothing happened yet. It's still going on. So if you get tired and want to get up and walk away, go ahead. I'll just finish up here. 2 Timothy 2.25. Isn't this not beautiful? Does anybody have that memorized? 2 Timothy 2.25. Well, I don't either, quite honestly. So I'm going to read it to you. If God, preadventure, will give them repentance. Think about... Oh, we got a mess here. Just a minute. Cop stayed, cap stayed on. No problem. If preadventure, that God... Get this language. That God will give them repentance. You see, you can't repent on your own. You won't repent on your own. Repentance is something God has to give to you. Metaneo. God has to give it to you. But the verse is... If God preadventure will give them repentance, changing of the mind, to the acknowledging of the truth. Heretofore, you reject the truth. Now God gives them repentance and they receive the truth. But notice the source of that repentance is not in the sinner, it's in God. And scripture tells us that God gives repentance to whomsoever he will. <laughs> we have no 
affecting that. That's all in the hand of God. Therefore, saving faith is a, is a measurable response to the, really to the, to the preaching of the word of God. Something changes at the point of repentance. When a person repents and changes, there's, there's, there, there, when they actually do this with respect to God, a certain change happens to them. Spiritually, they begin to be, they're born spiritually. Now, who knows Philippians 2.13? It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do with his good pleasure. Is that not a powerful verse? Now, that's something... I better keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to say... Let me encourage you to memorize that verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Hear this out again. For it is God that worketh in you. But No, it does two things. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, God, it's God that does this. You're here today. You, can, you got out of bed today, you're probably tired and didn't want to go, but I'll get up and go anyway. <laughs> Maybe your wife nagged you, your husband nagged you, something, you know, and you're here. But really, it's God that works in you, both to, to have the will and to do of his good pleasure. Having been saved, having received Christ, what's the next thing we do? Grow, develop, in the maturity, and that's what you have in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So let's, this is water, let's pretend it's milk. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may do what? Grow. That you may grow thereby. So having come to Christ, I just don't want to be... The same guy now for the next 25 years, 30 years, 50 years. No, I'm, I'm to grow. I'm to be a different creature next year this time than I am now. You are too. This whole issue of growth. Don't overlook that. You are to grow. The Lord wants to make... The Lord's done great things in your lives already, and I'm sure he has a plan to do much more. Don't count the Lord short. He's got great plans for you. But you, you know... You need to put yourself in God's word where you will grow to be able to handle the plan that God has for you. Probably, you know what, probably? For some of you, the plan God has for you, you couldn't handle it if he brought it to you right now. It would overwhelm you. But as you grow and mature, if you have a good year of growth and maturity in the Lord this year, so that when next year arrives, having grown for that year, what the Lord wants to give to you, he can now do it because you'll be able to handle it. But if you don't grow and mature and just sort of you know, wobble around, you know, your life's going to be a bore and you're not going to really be effective for the Lord as you could be. All right, so what else? I think that's it. What else do I want to say here? I just have this remark here. This is really not for you, but it's, I, I put it in here. God has called us to be responsible evangelists. Think about that. Would you consider yourself to be a, a responsible evangelist? Now, what's in it? one who gives, who gives out the word of God? Do you, have you passed out tracts? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you have done this. But you know what? Nothing is more exciting that you're talking to someone and, and you have a tract with you. And I got mine here. 
you know, I made sure I, t- <laughs> made sure I bought this. Last time I wanted to do this, and I didn't have it with me. So this is a track I like to use. And it get, it, why this track is good, in my opinion, it gets right to the issue. A lot of times, track you beat around the bush, even to get to the gospel, this gets you right here, because it's a, it's a question. Are you going to heaven? Well, I'm right into that discussion right there. And I think over the years of people who have t- taken this and got saved, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I told you some of these stories, so I don't want to repeat them, but, you know, numbers of people have come to the Lord through this little simple little track that got the gospel right inside, trust in Christ, get born again. And we've seen this happen to numerous people, couples. We've seen this in couples who are on the verge of divorce, they're angry, blah, 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 and they get saved. Now, guess what happened? The Lord begins to work in their heart, and they're moving closer together, closer together. Before you know it, they're happily married, and they're a good witness for the Christ. These things happen all the time. But you know what you got to do? Let me encourage you. You have to get the Word of God out. You know, carry these things around and give them out. This is an easy one to give, because you have, how am I going to give this to somebody? I say, hey, friend, it was good talking to you. By the way, let me give you some good news to read. And I just give it to them and walk away so they can't give it back to me. <laughs> Am I going to heaven? Well, some people get it and throw it away. Okay, but you know what? Somebody will keep this, read it, and get saved. <laughs> and that's our job. Get these things out. Do that great work of evangelism. So we're saved, not get the word of God out. <sighs> last phrase I have written down here, I don't know why it's here, but it's a quote from Jonah. What's Jonah's, what is the quote of Jonah that he's well known for? From the book of Jonah, he has, it's only a, and I'll close with this. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Five. It's five words. That the book of Jonah is known for five, a five-word phrase, and that is, salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to say thank you that salvation is indeed of the Lord and not of man. God forbid that man would get his claws into that wonderful gospel. Our Lord, could it possibly be that someone here does not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ? They may know you as a good man. They may like the church fellowship and can recite the Apostles' Creed, but their heart has never been circumcised. If that situation exists here today, we, I would ask, I would pray, I would plead that you would draw that person to you irresistibly unto yourself. That they would bow the knee to you, be born again, and be a successful, positive influence right here in the church. Perhaps there's a brother or sister or, or husband and wife who are going through a difficult time in relationships, or in money, or in work, or in the things that we deal with. Maybe somebody here today is hurting. Lord, I pray for them, that you will minister to their need, that you will draw them close to you. Bring good people into their life who can help them and direct them. And then, Lord, I want to say thank you for this wonderful church. This is a wonderful church. I continue to ask you to continue to pour down your blessing upon it, Give them protection. Give them guidance and optimism. Draw them close to you, O Lord. And thank you for bringing us together this day. And we thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.